Section 10 of Little Journeys to the Homes of Famous Women. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria. Little Journeys to the Homes of Famous Women by Albert Hubbard. Christina Rossetti. Professor Rossetti lived for twelve years at 38 Charlotte Street. He then moved to number 50 in the next block, which is a somewhat larger house. It was here that Mazzini used to come. The house had been made over somewhat, and is now used as an office by the Registrar of Vital Statistics. This is the place where Dante Gabriel and a young man named Holman Hunt had a studio, and where another young artist by the name of William Morris came to visit them. And here was born The Germ, that queer little chipmunk magazine in which first appeared Hand and Soul and The Blessed Demosel, written by Dante Gabriel when 18, the same age at which Bryant wrote Thanatopsis. William Bell Scott used to come here, too. Scott was a great man in his day. He had no hair on his head or face, not even eyebrows. Every follicle had grown a-weary and quit. But Mr. Scott was quite vain of the shape of his head, for well he might be, since several choice sonnets had been combed out of it. Sometimes when the wine went round and things grew merry, then sentimental, then confidential, Scott would snatch off his wig to display to the company his fine phrenological development, and tell a story about Nelson who, too, used to wear a wig just like his, and after every battle would take it off and hand it over to his valet to have the bullets combed out of it. The elder Rossetti died in this house and was carried to Christ Church in Woburn Square and thence to Highgate. His excellent wife waited to see the genius of her children blossom and be acknowledged. She followed thirty years later and was buried in the same grave with her husband, where later... Christina was to join them. Frances Mary Polidori was born at 42 Broad Street, Golden Square, the same street in which William Blake was born. I found the street in Golden Square but could not locate the house. The policeman on the beat declared that no one by the name of Rossetti or Blake was in business thereabouts, and further he had never heard of Polidori. William Michael Rossetti's home is one in a row of houses called St. Edmund's Terrace. It is near the St. John's Road station, just a step from Regent's Park, and faces the Middlesex Waterworks. It is a fine old house, built of stone, I should judge, stuccoed on the outside. With a well-known critic I called there, and found the master wearing a long dressing gown that came to his heels, a pair of new carpet slippers, and a black plush cap, all so dusty that we guessed the owner had been sifting ashes in the cellar. He was most courteous and polite. He worships at the shrine of Whitman, Emerson, and Thoreau, and regards America as the spot from whence must come the world's intellectual hope. Great thoughts, like beautiful flowers, are produced by transplantation and the commingling of many elements. These are his words, and the fact that the Rossetti genius is the result of transplanting need not weigh in the scales as against the truth of the remark. Shortly after this call, at an art exhibition, I again met William Michael Rossetti. I talked with him some moments, long enough to discover that he was not aware we had ever met. 
This caused me to be rather less in love with the Rossetti genius than I was before. The wife of Dante Gabriel Rossetti died, aged 29, at 14 Chatham Place, near Blackfriars Bridge. The region thereabouts has been changed by the march of commerce, and if the original house where the artist lived yet stands, I could not find it. It was here that the pre-Raphaelites made history. Maddox Brown, Burne Jones, Ruskin, William Morris, and the Macdonalds. Burne Jones married one of the Macdonald daughters. Mr. Pointer, now director of the National Gallery, another, Mr. Kipling, still another, with Rudyard Kipling as a result, followed in due course by Mulvaney, Ortheris, and Leroyd, who are quite as immortal as the rest. At this time, Professor Rossetti was dead, and William Michael, Maria, Christina, and the widowed mother were living at 166 Albany Street, fighting off various hungry wolves that crouched around the door. Albany Street is rather shabby now, and was then, I suppose. At 112 Albany Street lives one Dixon, who takes marvelous photographs of animals in the zoological gardens, with a pocket camera, and then enlarges the pictures a hundred times. These pictures go round the world over and command big prices. Mr. Dixon was taking for me at the National Gallery the negatives from which I made photogravures for my Ruskin-Turner book. Mr. Dixon knows more in an artistic and literary way than any other man in London, I believe, but he is a modest gentleman and only emits his facts under cross-examination or under the spell of inspiration. Together we visited the house at 166 Albany Street. It was vacant at the time, and we rummaged through every room, with the result that we concluded it makes very little difference where genius is housed. On one of the windows of a little bedroom we found the word Christina cut with a diamond. When and by whom it was done I do not know. Surely the Rossettis had no diamonds when they lived here. But Mr. Dixon had a diamond, and with his ring he cut beneath the word just noted the name Dante Gabriel Rossetti. I have recently heard that the signature has been identified as authentic by a man who was familiar with Rossetti's handwriting. When the firm of Morris and Company, dealers in art fabrics, was gotten underway, and Dante Gabriel had ceased to argue details with that preeminently sane man, William Morris, his finances began to prosper. Morris directed and utilized the energies of his partners. He marshaled their virtues into a solid phalanx and marched them on to victory. No doubt that genius usually requires a keeper. But Morris was a genius himself, and a giant in more ways than one, for he ruled his own spirit, thus proving himself greater than one who taketh a city. In 1862, we find Dante Gabriel throwing out the fact that his income was equal to about $10,000 a year. He took the beautiful house at 18 Cheney Walk, Chelsea, near the little street where lived a Scotchman by the name of Thomas Carlyle, and in the same block where afterwards lived George Eliot and where she died. He wanted his brother and sisters and his mother to share his prosperity, and so he planned that they should all come and live with him. And besides, Mr. Swinburne and George Meredith were to come, too. It was to be one big happy family. But the good old mother knew the human heart better than did her brilliant son. She has left on record these words. Yes, my children all have talent, great talent. I only wish they had a little common sense. 
so for the present she remained with William, her daughters, and her two aged unmarried sisters in the plain old house in Albany Street. But Dante Gabriel moved to Cheney Walk and began that craze for collecting blue china that has swept like a blight over the civilized world. His collection was sold for $3,500 some years after, to pay his debts, less than one-half of what it had cost him. Yet when he had the money, he generously divided it with the folks up in Albany Street. But by and by, William, too, got to making money, and the quarters at number 166 were abandoned for something better. William was married and had taken a house of his own, I don't know where. The rest of the household consisted of the widow, Mrs. Rossetti, Miss Charlotte Lydia Polidori, Maria, and Christina, and seven cats. And so we find this family of five women living in peace and comfort, with their books and pictures and cats, at 30 Torrington Street, in a drowsy, faded, ebb-tide mansion. Maria was never strong. She fell into decline and passed away. The management of the household then devolved on Christina. Her burdens must have been heavy in those days, or did she make them light by cheerful doing? She gave up society, refused the thought of marriage, and joined that unorganized sisterhood of mercy, the women who toil that others may live. But she sang at her work, as the womanly woman ever does. For although a woman may hold no babe in her arms, the lullaby leaps to her tongue, and at eventide she sings songs to the children of her brain, sweet idealization of the principle of mother love. Christina Rossetti comes to us as one of those splendid stars that are so far away they are only seen at rare intervals. She never posed as a literary person. Reading her productions at four o'clocks and winning high praise from the unbonneted and the discerning society editor. She never even sought a publisher. Her first volume of verses was issued by her grandfather, Polidori, unknown to her, printed by his own labor when she was seventeen and presented to her. What a surprise it must have been to this gentle girl to have one of her own books placed in her hands. There seems to have been an almost holy love in this proud man's heart for his granddaughter. His love was blind, or near-sighted at least, as love is apt to be, and, and I am glad, for some of the poems in this little volume are sorry stuff. Later, her brothers issued her work and found market for it, and once we find Dante Gabriel almost quarreling with that worthy Manxman, Paul Kane, because the Manxman was compiling a volume of the best English sonnets and threatening to leave Christina Rossetti out. Christina had the faculty of seizing beautiful moments, exalted feelings, sublime emotions, and working them up into limpid songs that comes echoing to us as from across soft seas. In all her lines there is a half-sobbing undertone, the sweet minor chord that is ever-present in the songs of the choir invisible, whose music is the gladness as well as the sadness of the world. I have a dear friend who is an amateur photographic artist, which, be it known, is quite a different thing from a Kodak fiend. The latter is continually snapping a machine in incongruous things. He delights in catching people in absurd postures. He pictures the foolish, the irrelevant, the transient, and the needless. But what does my friend picture? I'll tell you. He catches pictures only of beautiful objects, swaying stalks of goldenrod, flights of thistledown, 
lichen on old stone walls, barks of trees, oak leaves, bunches of acorns, single sprays of apple blossoms. Last spring he found two robins building a nest in a cherry tree. He placed his camera near them, and attaching a fine wire to the spring of the shutter, took a picture of Mr. and Mrs. Robin Redbreast laying down the first coarse straws for their nest. Then he took a picture every day for thirty days of that nest. From the time four blue eggs are shown, until four wide-open mouths are held hungrily for dainty grubs. This series of photographs forms an epic of creation. So if you ask me to solve the question of whether photography is art, I'll answer. It all depends on what you picture and how you present it. Christina Rossetti focused her thoughts on the beautiful object and at the best angle, so that the picture she brings us is nobly ordered and richly suggestive. And so the days passed in study, writing, housework, and caring for old ladies three. Dante Gabriel, talented, lovable, erratic, had gotten into bad ways, as a man will do who turns night into day and tries to get the start of God Almighty, thinking he has found a substitute for exercise and oxygen. Finally, he was taken to Birchington, on the Isle of Thanet, where Octave found her name. He was mentally ill, to a point where he had, through his delusions, driven away all his old-time friends. Christina, aged 51, and the mother, aged 82, went to take care of him, and they did for him with all the loving tenderness what they might have done for a sick baby. But with this difference, they had to fight his strength. Yet still there were times when his mind was sweet and gentle as in the days of old, and toward the last these periods of restful peace increased, and there were hours when the brother, sister, and aged mother held sweet converse, almost as when children they were taught at this mother's knee. Dante Gabriel Rossetti died April ninth, 1892. His grave is in the old country churchyard at Birchington. Two years afterward the mother passed out. In 1890, Eliza Polidori died, aged 87, and in 1893, her sister Charlotte joined her, aged 84. In Christ's Church, Woburn Square, you can see memorial tablets to these fine souls, and if you get acquainted with the gentle old rector, he will show you a pendant star and crescent, set with diamonds, given by the Sultan during the Crimean War. To Miss Charlotte Lydia Polidori, for distinguished services as nurse. And he will also show you a silver communion set marked with the names of these three sisters, followed by that of Christina Georgiana Rossetti. And so they all went to their soul's rest and left Christina alone in the big house with its echoing halls, too big by half for its lonely, simple-hearted mistress and her pets. She felt that her work was done, and feeling so, the end soon came. She died December ninth, 1894, passing from a world that she had never much loved, where she had lived a life of sacrifice, suffering many partings, enduring many pains. Glad to go, rejoicing that the end was nigh, and soothed by the thought that beyond lay a future, she fell asleep. End of Section 10 Christina Rossetti Recording by Maria